Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, we are continuing in our series on the book of Daniel, and our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, is back with a message on commitment. You can go ahead and open up your Bible or your Bible app to Daniel chapter 3. And if you would like to find additional resources on this message or listen to our past messages, you can do so on our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or you can listen to all of that and more on our Brookwood app. no one else but Jesus. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. No other way to God but through Christ. Sounds narrow, doesn't it? Particularly in our culture. But you know, by definition, truth is always narrow. Not open to many different avenues. We continue in our series today living in a foreign land. And today's message is entitled Commitment. If you'll take out your message guide, the front two panels are your outline for today. And the theme verse out of this passage is from Daniel chapter 3, which is where we'll focus today. And at verse 28, they defied the king's commands and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own God. I wonder if we are willing to die. Boy, that sound, that's awful threatening, doesn't it? It sounds awful fearful. Daniel was living in a foreign land because he was captured by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon by, his, by the king's soldiers who had invaded Judah and had taken Jews to Babylon. Daniel and his group were isolated because they were bright and they were from the families of nobles. They were trained to be in leadership in Babylon. And Daniel lived there 69 years, actually. Now, he remained faithful to God. And when I say God, I mean Yahweh, the Hebrew God, our, the Christian God, Jehovah, Some of you know his name as. And they influenced others toward their God in a pagan land. And pagan means unbelieving. And in particular, it means polytheistic. Numerous gods, many gods. Daniel's experience applies to us because we too are living in a foreign land. A land that's at least becoming more foreign. We are exiled within a culture. It's the culture we were born into, but we're fast becoming exiles. Where our Christian beliefs and our moral standards are being ignored or criticized or even attacked. This culture is becoming ever more polytheistic where all faiths or lack of faith are considered equally true. 
But our responsibility is to exercise influence like Daniel and his three friends. By rejecting compromise with our culture's values. By refusing silence. And instead, by humbly speaking biblical truth to lead others to God. See, we can speak truth humbly because God's truth changes no one unless empowered by His Spirit. You can't change anyone by the force of your argument. And if you find, your, if you find yourself growing angry, be quiet because it means you're feeling threatened. So back up and pray harder. Are you committed to worshiping and obeying God alone? Are you? Let me see some hands. Open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. In the Bible we sell, it is on page 711. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura, about 6 miles from Babylon, in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messengers to the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all of them came. Verse 4, Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither. I wonder if Brantley can play a zither. Probably. (laughs) We know Joe probably owns three. Lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Drop down to verse 8. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. Then skip to 12. But there are some Jews, they said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. Notice that. Anything that's said is important. wonder how he, they said that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these Jews who you put in charge, you get it? Of Babylon. They pay no attention to you. Boy, manipulation transcends culture, doesn't it? Your majesty, they refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Every Jew knew the first and second commandments of the Ten Commandments found in Exodus 20 that they both forbid idolatry. 
First commandment, you shall have no other God before me. Second commandment, you shall not um, build an idol and bow down before it. But there's no doubt that these evil men were watching and waiting for an opportunity to accuse these Hebrews of wrongdoing. Why? Say it. Yeah, they they were jealous. Because these Hebrews, these Jews, were promoted above them. And other Babylonians. Beware of how deep-seated racism is. These astrologers, remember in chapter 2, they had had their lives spared. Verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 24. Daniel said, don't kill any of them, and now I'll go tell the king what his dream means. I mean, do you find it surprising that the men whose lives were spared by the actions of Daniel are now trying to kill out his three friends? And maybe that's why you don't see Daniel in this chapter. Because they figured, we'll leave Daniel alone, but we're wiping out these other ones. Never underestimate the anger of envy. The cruelty of jealousy. I mean, consider social media. It's astounding how angry people get over what someone says that they'll never know. And if if you're one of these online warriors... Quit it. Quit it. Quit it. If you're being triggered by something, take it to the Lord. Find out what it is. But how does this passage apply to us? Well, we can be threatened when we refuse to worship the idols which are really most commonly ideas embraced by our culture. You see, worship is offering reverent honor, respect, adoring devotion to any person or thing. And who or what we worship will dominate our thoughts, it will dictate our schedules, It will direct our spending and it will result in developing our character in a direction and determining our lives. And we will identify ourselves and define ourselves according to what we worship. Could be God might be money, sports teams, hobbies, power, sex, either preferences, practices, or potential partners. How do you identify yourself? 
How do you define who you are? That will be controlling of the development and the direction of your life. Many in our world just essentially worship themselves. Even some that attend church. Because when there's a conflict between what they want and what God wants, guess who wins? Their own ideas, their own opinions, their own preferences are followed rather than God's guidelines. Put simply, if you don't hear anything else this morning, we become what we worship. Our idols will be reflected in our lives. So if I ask someone to describe you, what would be the first three things they would say about you? Would any of them be about God? Commitment to God includes first encountering persecution. Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then look at this. And then what God will be able to rescue you? Sort of a sneering, snarling statement there, isn't it? Why do you think the king gave these men a second chance? I mean, he did, didn't he? Why did he give them another chance? I think he liked them. I think they had benefited him, don't you think? So he's, he's probably reluctant to put them to death, actually. But he didn't want to appear merciful and soft. So he came back with this snarling sneer, didn't he? Because he thought, oh, they're going to think I'm soft on these, on these Hebrews. And what will your God do then? Boy, pride turns us into fools, doesn't it? Now, we're not threatened with being cast into a furnace for refusing to worship an idol. But remember, worship is not merely bowing down to a statue. It may mean agreeing and supporting an idea, a behavior, a practice 
that is accepted by our culture. And I, I turn our attention again to that matter of abortion. Now, those of you that have known me, I don't beat this drum all the time. But we see a shift in our culture right now on this issue in several states, five or six states. Uh, I think four in the northeast and one out west, New Mexico. Are removing any limitations on abortion. which is eliminating the idea that children are conceived as persons possessing the image of God. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. Now, I say this sensitively, knowing that some of you may have endured that through misunderstanding, misdirection, advice. And I'm not scolding that. I'm just saying, from this point forward, let's understand the importance of life. Even lives that are limited in some ways physically or mentally. Because the image of God is still there is still there. And that's the most priceless element in our, in our world. And if you disagree with some of our culture's opinions, you may be not thrown in a fiery furnace, but you sure might get some fiery stares. You may get some heated attacks. I'll bring it home to you. If we don't support lifestyles that are opposed to God's guidelines, such as many varieties of sexual immorality, but it, but it could be even just unbridled materialism. We might be tossed away. You might not be tossed into a furnace, but you may be tossed away. When did you know you were carrying a child? But you knew very early in that pregnancy that you were carrying a life, didn't you? See, you can live a life of hidden faith and avoid mistreatment. But if you live a life that is distinctly godly, you will arouse anger from those who oppose God's guidelines. I mean, here's, a, here's an example. Do people ever apologize to you when they're cursing? Well, did you say anything? I mean, did you denounce them? No, that's in them, see? Because you cannot turn off God's Spirit that shines from you. 
And if people get all nervous and they start apologizing to you, I mean, a lot of times people will say, oh, well, I'm sorry, Pastor. I said, well, I've heard of that word before. <laughs> I mean, I say, I mean, I'm not naive. I wasn't born a Christian and wasn't one until I was almost out of college, in fact. Commitment to God also includes expressing faith. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. That's an important point right there. You never need to defend God. We merely state God. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. And he will rescue us from your, your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Now look at this clearly. They knew they may not escape the fire. They knew the king did not control their fate. You see the point? He will remove us from under your power, though we might lose our lives. See, faith is trusting and obeying God, regardless of how we feel, in spite of our circumstances. He's not bothering me. But. You know what? I know now some of y'all might argue with me on this, but it doesn't bother me when there's kids in here. You know why? You say, well, they don't understand the message. Well, some of y'all don't, but. <laughs> but you know what they understand? They understand how they're treated in the presence of God's people. You know, my grandson is two years old and he came to worship night. And yes, we fed him cheese and crackers and all the rest of that. But you know what? He, we were singing one song, two years old now. He's standing on a chair and he looks around and he goes like this. He didn't really know what he was doing. You know what? But he learned something from the people of God in that setting. And I hope he learns 100,000 lessons from the people of God. So that's why I don't, I don't mind that. True faith isn't abandoned by threats. Or because, it's because, see, our commitment to God becomes central to our identity. If you're born again, you have had an experience that is undeniable. You could sooner deny yourself and your name than deny that you are part of God and He is part of you. You hear what I'm saying? You can't be talked out of it. 
that experience defines you. That personal encounter in which you are sealed by the Spirit of God changes you. So denying God would be rejecting what you know to be true. Like denying yourself. Does that make sense? It's that central. I think that's how martyrs die without denouncing. Because they can't deny what they know is true. These men didn't attempt to defend their faith or their God. They, they didn't plead for mercy. But instead, they, but they reasonably, they respectfully, calmly said they would not bow to his statue or to their gods. They used this threat as an opportunity to express faith. And every time you are put under pressure, you have an opportunity to express faith. When you're mistreated at work, when you lose your job, when, you, when it, whatever happens, you have an opportunity to express faith, don't you? Sometimes those subs, they don't deliver what they're supposed to deliver, are they? But it's an opportunity every time to express faith. Doesn't mean you don't get some different subs. But graciously. And so they asserted, yes, our God can rescue and he will certainly remove us from your power. See there? They weren't saying they weren't going to die. They knew they were going to die. But even facing death, they would not denounce God. And the king did not control their fate. You know, they could have rationalized, well, we'll just bow our bodies, but our, but, but our hearts will still be standing. Because we need to save our lives. I'm afraid a lot of us would fall there. Well, I'll, just, I'll just pretend to submit to the statue. I just want to get along. I don't want anything negative to happen. You might be missing an opportunity God's about to open to you. And sometimes, well, probably all the time, but loyalty to God requires us to stand and to speak. But you speak gently, you speak respectfully. You speak kindly always in the nature of Christ. Here's another instance. And I've heard this one through the years. People have said, you know, you might have friends. You might have family members. You may even have guests who are staying in your home. And they don't live by God's standards. You don't have to defend yourself for God. You just have to say, in my house, we honor God. So you sleep in separate rooms. Boy, that's hard. My child might be upset with me. 
What are you giggling for? People are terrified that their children will be upset with them. If we never communicate our convictions, we will never cause others to examine their lives. Are we committed to trust God, to speak for God, even in threatening circumstances? Because our relationship with Him is based on truth, not favorable circumstances. Your, your circumstances today may not be favorable, but God's still true. Commitment to God also includes enduring suffering. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. You know, proud people really get mad when you disobey them. You know why? Because it's interpreted as disrespect. Always. You know, those of you that get real mad on Woodruff Road, you know what I'm talking about? I want you to think about this. When someone pulls over, it feels like you have just been disrespected. Not that somebody just didn't notice you and pulled in front of you. You see what I'm saying? If it hits you at a real gut level and you feel it in a visceral place, that's about something else. And your face probably becomes distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace, which was used for smelting ore, be heated seven times hotter than usual. I mean, can you imagine the wood it took? And then he ordered some of the strongest men in the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And to throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and they threw them in the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger, look at this, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Anger always damages innocent parties. If you rage in your home, even if you have children, they hear. And they're affected, even though it isn't directed at them. Rage always affects innocent parties. These soldiers were just doing what they were told. Suddenly they're incinerated. These soldiers were only obeying. You know, it's interesting, isn't it, that he wanted to raise the temperature of the fire. Why? Why? Huh? Show his power. Perhaps make it more painful, right? Don't you think? Because otherwise, why? But if you think about it, 
lowering the temperature would have caused more pain because they would have lived longer. But when you're just furious, you turn into a fool. When we remain committed to God's word and his ways, we, we will suffer. Look at this cross-reference. I'm not using many because our passages are so long, but 1 Peter 4. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fire, fiery trials you are going through in Simpsonville, in Greenville, in Easley, in Anderson. You see, this isn't just back then. This is right now. As if something strange were happening to you, instead be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. So you have to align yourself with Jesus to endure the suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. But how real is eternity to us? You see, that should be more real than the world we're walking in right now. Suffering for our faith may vary. It may be just alienation from friends. It might be verbal attack. And God always rewards faith, but he doesn't always deliver from affliction. Suffering refines our faith. You understand this? When you are suffering, God is deliberately refining, strengthening, shaping your faith. I don't think it's easy to get there, folks. But we really, as James 1 says, should be able to say, I'm joyful that you are working on my faith. And yet, what do we do? We want to get out of every bit of pain as soon as possible. And we think God's mistreated us if we're suffering. And yet, God's suffering for God is grace working in our lives, changing us, shaping us, refining us. And it enables us to identify with Jesus and, and be recognized by others as Christians. Are we willing to suffer? Commitment to God includes experiencing God's presence. Verse 24, suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a God. Aramaic literally says like a son of the gods. Well, who's the fourth person? A lot of scholars do believe it was Jesus. The pre-incarnate Jesus. And there's several other times when they believe that Jesus appeared before his birth. Now, who knows the theological word that describes that happening? Christophany. Christophany. And perhaps it was an angel sent from God 
Perhaps it was Jesus himself because Jesus existed from time past. But in either case, God was present with these men in the furnace. God's spirit is always present with his people in pain. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never abandon you. You say, but isn't God's spirit always present? Oh, yes. God's spirit's always present in every person who is born again. Because that's when the spirit comes in and regenerates and remains. But when suffering, and some of you may be suffering, when suffering we get awful free of distractions, don't we? When you're suffering, you don't care about any scores. You don't even care about the stock report. When you're suffering, you start seeking God and you focus on Him because you become desperate for His support. Is that true? It's not that He's there more, more, um, that he's more present there. He's not. It's that you have stripped away all the distractions and you're seeking him desperately for support. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, Come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. They could have done it earlier. Did you notice that? Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed. You ever get your hair singed? I've told you about that when I wanted to get right up where the hottest part with my, at the weenie roast. <laughs> Zip. Today it would just look like a new style, but. <laughs> not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Apparently, the only thing that was burned were the ropes that bound them. And they walked around. You know, suffering removes many of the things that bind us to this earth, doesn't it? I mean, we're upset. We're mad we didn't get the promotion. We're mad we didn't have more money. We're mad we don't have the new whatever. In suffering, we don't care about any of those things. We only care about God's presence, don't we? We only care about God's presence. Isaiah 43 says this. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Do you experience God's presence in pain? Call on him. And the results you see there right at the end. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar says, pray to the Hebrew God. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. Isn't that interesting? The king understood they trusted their God. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God. It's surprising that Nebuchadnezzar would write this, isn't it? This is actually autobiographical, this chapter is. And it's Nebuchadnezzar writing this. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb. He loved to threaten. And their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted these three to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. The commitment of these men to God when threatened, even when threatened, influenced the king to praise their God and to forbid anyone from speaking against him. But he's not converted yet. Counselors will be here. And they'll be here to pray with you, to anoint you with oil, to talk with you about faith, to set up subsequent meetings with you. They just want to be here to provide whatever you need. They're also in the care connection room across the concourse. Father, how we thank you for this word. Enable us to have opportunities, Lord, and walk with us and be close to us when threatened so that we might bring glory to your name and be willing to stay committed to you even in difficult, threatening times. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways that you can connect with other Christians, or if you just have questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326. You can also find our past messages on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.